Today's TribeCast is presented by Anheuser-Busch. Anheuser-Busch has distributed over 800,000 cans of drinking water to Texas communities impacted by Hurricane Harvey and will donate proceeds from Budweiser Texas bottle sales to the American Red Cross Hurricane Harvey relief efforts. And Pearson. At Pearson, we're inspired by tolerance. Learn how a Texas principal works to end bullying in a digital world at pearsonlearningnews.com. Texas talking what was that that you said? Texas talking. I'm gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking. Tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are and Texas guys Hi, this is State Representative Jason Isaac. I started working when I was 12 years old cleaning up after animals. Now, 34 years later, I feel compelled to do the same. So I'm running for Congress to take the Texas model of limited government to the place that needs it most, Washington, D.C., to make America like Texas. Enjoy this week's TribCast. And now here's your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here on Valentine's Day with your loving Texas Tribune TribCast, our weekly podcast about the biggest stories in Texas politics. Joined this week by executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Reporter Patrick Svitek. Good afternoon. Reporter Emma Platoff will be joining us in a second. And a special guest, Republican State Representative Sarah Davis. Happy Valentine's Day. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we're also going to be taking your questions via Facebook and Twitter, so please send them our way. Um, Representative Davis, we only have you here for the first segment today. Luckily, uh, Evan, who's homesick, nervously preparing, will get to interview you on stage tomorrow morning in Austin. Um, but of course, we want to talk to you about your reelection bid and, um, in particular, your two challengers, including. Governor Greg Abbott. Yes, yes. Uh, what did you do to piss him off so much? <laughs> I, you know, I'm not entirely sure. I can't really uh, figure out his motive. Obviously, during the special session, I had a press conference in which I requested that the governor add ethics reform to the special session because, remember, it had been priority items or emergency items the f his first two sessions. Um, and I think that I was quite respectful in my um, presentation. I think Larson might have been a little bit more aggressive, you know, than than I was. Um, uh, Larson, Republican of San Antonio. Yes, yes. Uh, and But I was also joined by my entire uh, committee, uh, which is, of course, all men but me. Um, but somehow I would have, uh, uh, have been targeted. I think Lyle got the... Uh, Abbott, or the anti-Abbott endorsement a week or so ago, but Abbott, of course, has been actively uh, campaigning against me uh, for quite some time, spending $161,000 in TV ads that now the, the, the recent ad doesn't even mention um, my opponent, mm -hmm. which, you know, is an interesting strategy. We try to just uh, keep Go, keep, go, keep the race back to what it really is, which is about my district and my constituents and whether or not Susanna Dacupil, um, you know, is qualified to be the representative. Was there any finger-wagging from the governor's office before the special session? Right. Did you know I mean, was there anything this was like coming? In the 2015 session on ethics and the 2017 session? Um, regular session? The only thing, not, not specific to me. I mean, we obviously all heard the governor's remarks about, you know, him just keeping a list and was going to, you know, we, we joke of having the naughty or nice list. And I knew very immediately that I was going to be on the naughty list because a lot of the stuff that was on that special session, I couldn't get behind. I mean, mm -hmm. some of the things I could absolutely support, the maternal mortality task force, of course. Um, but the bathroom bill is a non-starter for me. That's I just thought that was a complete waste of our time. This whole attack on local government it took me by surprise. 
I represent small cities like Westview, Southside Place, on Bel Air. They have wonderfully strict tree ordinances, mm -hmm. and so we have a beautiful <laughs> canopy because of that. And never once has someone come to me and said, you know, city council's out of control with the trees. So some of that stuff, I thought. It seemed, it just didn't, it really didn't jive with what I would consider a conservative philosophy, believing in local control, but it was just bad for my constituents. Have you been surprised by the tenor of the attacks? I mean, or, or did you did you foresee this? You know, you said you knew there was gonna be a, a sort of naughty and nice list, but have you been surprised by how um, strong this opposition has been? I, I've, I am mostly surprised because it's almost entirely false, and I would have expected more out of the governor. I mean, it's, you know, if you want to if you want to attack me for being pro-choice, mm -hmm. do it. I am, mm -hmm. you know. But then to say I, you know, support late-term abortions on demand as a you know means of birth control, or um, you know, using a vote in which I voted against a, the appealing of a ruling of the chair mm -hmm. um, as a, somehow a substantive vote on a bill uh, to limit state spending, yeah, that's just disingenuous and the comments that were made at that fundraiser that I tried to take money out of his disaster relief fund and saying that I would have hurt my own constituents that is baseless that is not true and it, it was very insulting and by the way the bill that I was trying to, uh, to to pass House Bill 25 was to reinstate cuts that were made to therapy care for children with disabilities and that bill of course took the money from the rainy day fund and his favorites the Freedom Caucus that he so actively uh, supports and endorsed are the ones that tried to take the money out of the governor's fund. How often is, is Abbott coming up on the, the campaign trail in your district and, and when he does, what is was the conversation like with, with voters? He comes up a great deal because uh, my folks are pretty angry that the governor would insinuate himself into my district, try to tell them how to vote. And remember, I've been there for four terms, so it's not like these folks don't know me. You know, they know me and they know when they're being told a bunch of BS. I get everywhere I go. This morning at the place I was having breakfast, someone came over and said, I feel like I'm a Republican without a party. Keep up the fight. Thank you for what you're doing. Any grocery store. I mean, people just come up and they're furious. And um, I will say it's helped me a great deal with fundraising. Is your district a lot more um, conservative, like some districts are, in March than it is in November? And is that to your disadvantage? I think it definitely is, a, you know, more conservative uh, in March. But, uh, you know, we've always... You know, we've always messaged the same, whether we're in a March or a November election, mm -hmm. and we get a lot of crossover votes even in that March mm -hmm. uh, election. So, um, I don't think that my district, even on the, you know, if you were to judge how conservative it is, could compare, you know, with a lot of uh, other districts around the state. But at the end of the day, this is the most educated district in the state. It's the wealthiest district in the state, and it includes the medical center. I represent like 7,000 doctors. And when my opponent is out there propped up by the anti-vaccine movement and taking thousands of dollars from these anti-vaxxers, that's not going to fly in November. I can guarantee you that. Well, speaking of the general, a couple questions coming in on social media. A question from Alex. As the most moderate Republican in the, in the legislature, why should we vote for you over a Democrat? <laughs> as a most modern, um, you know, I, I guess I believe in, in, in you know, Reagan's 80-20 rule. I mean, I, I think you're going to find that if you are a Republican, you're going to agree with me in at least 80% of the time, and that doesn't make me a 20% traitor. Um, a question uh, from the governor's office, maybe? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Alex in the governor's office, right. right. Um, Long-time listener, first-time caller. Right? Exactly. Um, and a question from Ash, who asks, assuming you're reelected, would you consider a run for 
for speaker, and if you don't, uh, and if you don't, who do you want to run? Oh, well, right now we're just trying to win this primary, <laughs> so that's our um, sole focus at this point. Um, and in terms, in terms of who's going to be the next speaker, I don't, we don't really, no one knows. Do and you have any interest in it? Um, I am just trying to get reelected <laughs> in my house district. Not enough. But you know, but we have. I mean, you know, have Dr. Zerwas who's announced, and I think he would be a fabulous speaker. Um, but I, until we get through the primaries and we see who all's coming back, it's, it's. It's all just speculation. Ross, I mean, you had a great column about what this could mean for Governor Abbott if he goes, you know, to the wall on this and, and Representative Davis is reelected. If you are reelected, what does this mean for your relationship with him or your efforts to try to get things done going forward? Well, um, I would like to think, you know, that we're kind of like a family where you can, you know, fight but then come together on Thanksgiving and have dinner. And um, I believe I will be reelected. And I think that there are many issues that the governor and I agree on and I think it would be best to focus on those things that we do agree on as opposed to continuing this this um, you know civil war within our own party really and I mean speaking of the civil war within your own party what do you think this sort of Republican non Republican violence means means for the party going forward I mean how do you think are, are constituents paying attention to this oh my constituents are absolutely paying attention to it and I think you know depending how this election goes I mean we could really start to see the destruction of the Republican Party and start losing more and more seats because if they're if the party is not big enough for a voice like me and we continue just to limit and limit the definition of what a Republican is we are going to limit ourselves out of power um, so I think that um, you know, we'll just we have to you know see, but I, I think it, I think it could have some very dramatic effects for the long-term future of the party. And remember, the Democrats have their eyes on 2020. Mm -hmm. You know, they are all about redistricting, and so they are going to they are looking to pick up all of these seats. We've we know that Eric Holder um, is organizing money with Barack Obama right. uh, to come after competitive uh, House districts. And I read in an article in the Houston Chronicle the other day they. They've actually mentioned my house seat. So, um, you know, we need to be paying attention um, and taking care of each other as opposed to, you know, setting about to destroy each other because uh, the Democrats are, are, are keen to what's, what's going on. And I think that they're going to be very, they're going to be very aggressive. Right. Well, thank you so much, Representative Davis, for joining us. You can watch her live on uh, our live stream or come see her at the Austin Club tomorrow morning with one Evan Smith, and we'll see and you And if soon. he doesn't, if he's too sick to make it, I can just ask myself No, he'll, just, he'll, he'll, he'll be there with his blankie, and, and it'll be all good. <laughs> yeah. It'll all be good. Indeed. Okay. And uh, uh, Emma Platoff's going to come thank back in and join us. Thanks again. Just a reminder, Facebook and Twitter viewers, you can post your questions in the comments, and we'll try to get uh, to them here. Um, Ross, we are just three weeks out from the primary, and I can't wait another moment to hear about your hot list another moment wow. not another moment could you please tell us the oh three or four races primary races that we absolutely must be watching you know so i rank these hot hot or hottest and the you know i started to use chili peppers but you know we went with the disaster alert thing everybody from, already thinks our our logo looks like new mexico so yeah right <laughs> yeah. so um so i have uh one statewide race the agriculture commissioner sid miller the uh, defending champion mm -hmm. and incumbent uh, against Trey Blocker, who's a hog slayer. Who's a hog slayer? Has a, <laughs> has a spot up. I guess this is on the internet. Where is this? It's not online. Not on air. It's on anywhere. the internet. I posted it on Twitter. If you would like he's, to see a, him standing stabbing in front of a, a bunch hog. of wild hog carcasses, and <laughs> the man has a knife. Uh, anyway, uh, so that's on my uh, top list. There are four Senate races I've got on the top list. Uh, one of them is an open seat 
where Van Taylor has dropped out, the Collin County fight between Philip Huffines, whose twin brother's already in the Senate, and Angela Paxton, whose husband is the Attorney General. So that's got a lot of interest for just those reasons, but it's a really good race. Bob Hall is defending in a race just east of there against Cindy Burkett, a member of the House. That's on the hot list. Craig Estes, who's in this weird district that goes all the way from Wichita Falls over to Collin and Denton counties, is defending that seat against Pat Fallon, uh, who is also a House member. And Kel Seliger, a former um, Amarillo mayor who's been in the Senate for a while, is defending his seat against Victor Leal, a restaurant owner from Mule Shoe, and Mike Cannon, a former mayor of Midland uh, in the Senate. And then I've got two House races on here. One is Wayne Faircloth, who's another of the candidates like Sarah Davis that mm -hmm. the governor has endorsed against. He's endorsed Mays Middleton, a former um, board member at the Texas Public Policy Foundation and uh, kind of a conservative force in that race. And Donna Dukes, who's been the subject of so many tribcasts so far. Um, Apparently a standing desk fell on her A standing desk recently. fell on her in the latest thing. And we're waiting to see if anything falls on her in the primary. She's got <laughs> um, five people running against her, including a former city councilwoman, Cheryl Cole, um, Chito Vela, Cheryl Cole, Warren Baker, Casey McKinney, and Anna Cortez are all gunning for her. So that's the top of my list. And there's another, you know, 15 or so races as you go down the heat levels. Uh, TJ wants to know, where's the land commissioner race on your hot list? It's down in the hot level, not in the hotter or the hottest. Um, <laughs> you couldn't is, just do like low, medium, high. No, that would have been, been, been too easy. Right. But, uh, George P. Bush is defending his, uh, his uh, office against his predecessor, uh, Jerry Patterson. Uh, who's been really critical of the way George P. has run the office in general, specifically how he's run the Alamo and how he's dealt with Hurricane Harvey response. There are two other candidates in that race, Davey Edwards and Rick Range. And, you know, it would it's always dangerous for an incumbent to draw a serious opponent. It's really dangerous to draw three opponents because then you could get mm -hmm. into a runoff. And that's, that's often not good for incumbents. Um, so that's that's on my hot list, not on my hotter or my hottest. And obviously, we just had Sarah Davis in the room. Is her primary anywhere on your list? Uh, it is. Um, you know, this is a really interesting race, just if for no other reason than she's also running, as you pointed out, against Greg Abbott. Mm -hmm. He's spending a lot of money in that race. Uh, she's in a district where uh, she's been relatively popular, as she said. You know, it's a it's been a more moderate Republican district, I think. Uh, Hillary Clinton beat Trump pretty good there. Greg Abbott and Wendy Davis's race in 2014 was close, um, but it's a tough race. And you know, if it was another opponent who was not as well funded or didn't have a governor behind it, you would say that's a safe race for Sarah Davis. But she's on my hotter list. Right, Patrick. You and I were just talking a couple minutes before this. Texans for lawsuit reform. Uh, their PAC, you know, very aggressive PAC, usually aligned with Abbott, has come out and endorsed Representative Davis and also Wayne Faircloth, I believe, another one of Abbott's targets. Is that politically significant? I think it is. I mean, TLR is not the only group that typically aligns with incumbents that is sticking with the incumbents in these races where Abbott has backed challengers. And so I guess the way to look at that is, is they've decided that it's not, you know, politically they're going to stick with the incumbents that they've backed before or that just more have more aligned with them before. And they're not going to take into account uh, the governor's endorsement of the challenger. Um, you know, you could see a scenario, an alternative alternative scenario, where some of these groups uh, see the governor endorsing a primary challenger and not necessarily follow him to the primary challenger, but decide to stay neutral, for example, in the race. Uh, but 
like you just pointed out, groups like TLR that typically align with some of these incumbents and, and more establishment kind of oriented uh, Republicans, uh, they've decided that they're going to stick with those those people for now, and they're not going to heed the, 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 the governor's action in the race. Some of that's that Omar thing you were quoting to Representative Davis a minute ago. You come at the king, you best not miss. And that's really, really more true Omar for— Omar Little. Omar Little from The Wire. Was, um, yeah, right. Duh, gonna... Everybody should know this, right? Um, the— that's more dangerous for lobby groups and associations than it is even for a governor. You know, if you endorse against an incumbent and they come back, you've not only got not a yes vote, you've got a no vote to deal with. Right. Two quick questions from social media. Seth wants to know, what do you uh, know about the challenger to Representative Matt Schaefer in HD6? Anybody know anything? Uh, he asks, is Ted Camel, K-A-M-E-L, yeah. coming from his right or his left? Former member of the Texas legislature, probably coming from his left, although Ted was a pretty conservative member of the legislature. Um, when was he in the legislature? Uh, back there somewhere, before, uh, late, late 80s, early 90s. I was going to say, I think before uh, my time in right. the in the Capitol. Um, and, you know, he's making a comeback. Some, You know, often that doesn't work, mm -hmm. but Hugh, Hugh Shine is in the legislature. It works sometimes. Right. Uh, and then Seth asks, did Representative Matt Rinaldi draw a challenger? I thought he was one of the most vulnerable Freedom Caucus members. I He's drawn a strong Democratic challenger. Her name is uh, Julie Johnson. She's a very uh, politically connected attorney from, from North Texas, and she has been uh, raising a lot of money, uh, collecting a lot of endorsements. Um, I believe she's unopposed in the Democratic primary, so for now she's just gearing up for a general election uh, competition with Rinaldi. Yeah, right. A bunch of the best races for 2018 are not on my list because they're November races and not Right, <laughs> right. Great. All right, well, just a quick reminder, if you're listening to this TribCast on iTunes, please take a second to review us and subscribe. And meanwhile, we want to thank another TribCast sponsor, Comcast, which is proud to bring Olympic Team USA home to every hometown. All right, one race that's not on the hot list but that I want to talk about with you, Emma, is Texas Supreme Court Justice Jimmy Blacklock's run um, after a mere month in office for the Texas Supreme Court. Uh, remind us, how does he find himself in a position of running after being in office this short of a window? Yeah, it's kind of a raw deal for Jimmy Blacklock. He uh, was appointed to Don Willett's seat on the Texas Supreme Court after Willett was uh, nominated and confirmed to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, and just bad luck for him that Willett's seat is up for re-election this year. So just a month after, I believe he was sworn in January 2nd, now he has to gear up for a general election race. Uh, not on Ross Ramsey's hot list, definitely not on my hot list either. <laughs> he has no primary challenger, vanishingly unlikely that his Democratic challenger would win in November, mm -hmm. but um, still a difficult line to walk. Yep. They kind of elbowed his opponent out, right? Yeah, actually, it was an interesting... Got, right, with Abbott's in strong endorsement, right. basically. Right. Right, right, there, right. There was one candidate who had announced before Willett was confirmed, Rick Green, a former candidate and loser for a Texas Supreme Court, said he would run for Willett's seat if Willett was confirmed. But um, in kind of a, yeah, elbowing is a good way to put it, Abbott announced that he planned to nominate Blacklock before Rick Green even had the chance to file. Like when they walk so, in your store like, and say, you got a nice little place here, I'd hate to see anything happen. <laughs> yeah, sorry, buddy, get out of the way. <laughs> so if you're a judge, you're supposed to sort of, in theory, be impartial. But obviously, this guy's track record, as many you know, folks' track records, is, is anything but... Right. I mean, you know, you found all these things that his, on his website initially that were basically, you know, bragging about his conservative credentials. 
Is that correct? Yeah, so Blacklock has worked for Abbott for almost 10 years, first in the Attorney General's office, then in the Governor's office, on many incredibly divisive partisan issues, you know, Obamacare, abortion, gay marriage, these kinds of things. He claims that now he's a judge, uh, he's neutral, you know, his partisan past is behind him, but Abbott actually isn't doing him any favors with his language, trying to help him get reelected. He said at a uh, pro life rally last month that I know how Jimmy Blacklock will rule on uh, abortion cases, which is something that lawyers really do not like to hear. With so, Blacklock right. standing there, right? Yeah, right, right, right to his <laughs> left. Yeah. This guy right here is going to, yeah. And didn't he like scrub some stuff from his website that sort of prided himself on those partisan issues? Yeah, there were a few links deleted from his website uh, sometime between our interview with him last week and the story uh, running earlier. And uh, phrases like lifelong Republican were deleted and a link mm -hmm. to a page called Jimmy's conservative record disappeared from the homepage. So uh, it's definitely the website has undergone some renovations. It's mm -hmm. a hard thing for judges, you know, even, right. even, you know, if you accept the idea that really the party preferences and even issue preferences of judges don't matter in court, that the judges are going to rule straight up on the law when you put them on the ballot and make them run as Republicans and Democrats, you force them into a partisan mold and you know i mean a lot of current and former judges on the texas supreme court and on the court of criminal appeals have said you know in some ways this just kills you you know you're already in a position where nobody wants to contribute to the races except the lawyers that want that want to practice before you right and then you have to declare your party fealty in order to get out of a, a primary it's a problem. Right. I mean, you don't have a choice. It's not like certain, you know, municipal races where in cities, you know, mayors can run. It's it's truly supposed to be a nonpartisan race. I mean, in right. this case, there's, you have to have a party affiliation generally to right. run. So, um, well, obviously, that's a race where Abbott has been able to weigh in pretty heavily. Um, one more person who's been pulling his weight this primary season, Patrick, is Ted Cruz. You had a story this week looking at his involvement in a series of congressional races. Um, where exactly and why? Yeah, so there are two open seat Republican primaries where he's uh, working really hard to try to get two former staffers elected. Um, in the 5th Congressional District, where Jeb Hensterling is retiring, uh, Cruz has endorsed Jason Wright, who's a former uh, East Texas uh, field director for him. And then in the 21st District, where Lamar Smith is retiring, uh, Cruz has endorsed Chip Roy, who is his former chief of staff and uh, more broadly just a longtime kind of Republican advisor in Texas politics. And what's notable about these endorsements is that he isn't just putting on a statement on paper and, and letting it go. Uh, he is spending multiple days on the campaign trail with them, doing multiple events for them. Uh, he is starring in radio ads and TV ads for them. He is holding fundraisers for them. Um, outside groups uh, that are aligned with Cruz, like his leadership pack, the jobs uh, Jobs, Freedom, and Security PAC, as well as the Club for Growth, the National Conservative Group, are spending uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, to either prop up these Cruz-backed mm -hmm. candidates or to attack some of their opponents uh, in the primaries. And so it, it all results in this like very exhaustive effort uh, to, to get these two guys elected. And as we noted in the story in the past, you know, a Cruz endorsement, uh, you know, the impact of a Cruz endorsement in the Republican primary was, was, was pretty clear. You know, uh, it either kind of crystallized a front, run, front runner or he'd come in at the end and endorse someone who we already knew was probably going to win. Uh, but in this case, he's, he's definitely sticking out his neck a little bit. These are both in the 5th District and the 21st District, very crowded, very competitive primaries. In the 21st District, you have 18 Republicans running in the primary, um, a lot of money and a lot of endorsements flowing into these, these candidates 
tendencies. And so, um, you know, there, there's no guarantee that these at this point, you know, f from the way I look at these races, there's no guarantee that the cruise back candidates are even going to make the runoff. And so he's, you know, I think the amount of work you see Cruz putting in for these two guys is, is reflective of that. What's the benefit to him of playing in these two races? Yeah, I mean, so he obviously sees an opportunity to kind of reshape the Texas congressional delegation in his image, make it more conservative, more in line with his kind of brand of, of Republican politics. Make sure he has a few more friends and over there. Of course, yeah. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, for example, I think the, both these two candidates that he's backed have said that they would join the House Freedom Caucus mm -hmm. uh, once they get to Washington if elected. So that's, you know, just to give you a feel for the kind of member that they'd be. They've already made that kind of uh, commitment. And uh, so, yeah, it's just, it's just an all out effort and the stakes are pretty high um, as we've talked about here here before I mean there are eight open congressional seats this cycle in Texas six of them are currently uh, Republican held and it's the biggest transformation the delegations going through in, in decades mm -hmm. and so I think Cruz senses you know an opportunity to, to, to play kingmaker in that mm -hmm. context you, you know if he endorses and nothing happens that's a show of weakness and he wants to show strength both you know for the reasons Patrick's outlining you know he wants to be a successful legislator and it helps to have people behind you and I assume he's going to run for national office again at mm -hmm. some point and wants to show you know the cruise juice out there and right. you know that I think this, I saw he was works. asked about it this week and said it was right. running for president was the most fun he ever had yeah. Yeah. that you know, did not look yeah, like yeah. fun he, to me. he was a huge endorsement and you know it was really the only advertising for Ken Paxton in the mm -hmm. AG's race yeah and you know by contrast Greg Abbott last time endorsed a couple of house members who both lost. This time Abbott's taken a lesson from Cruz and is actually putting his money into the races that he's endorsing in. And, you know, it counts when you throw against somebody and lose. So, you know, Cruz is doubling down. I mean, in some ways he's sticking his neck out, but in some ways he's trying to lower his risk by really taking an active part in those campaigns. Right. Well, I mean, lately Cruz himself has been acknowledging that there this could be a rocky election year, that there could be some volatility. Uh, you were with him, I believe, this weekend where he made some comments along those lines, right? Yeah, I mean, you could kind of dismiss some of this as just posturing <laughs> to, to rev up his base. But uh, you have seen him take a, you know, in front of Republican-friendly crowds, take a more urgent tone as it relates to the midterm elections and talk about uh, how we, you know, Republicans should not at all underestimate the enthusiasm uh, among Democrats right now. Uh, I think the event you're referring to, he said something like, uh, you know, the the left is stark raving nuts right now in their opposition to the president. <laughs> he said they're willing to crawl over broken glass to vote in November. And, you know, I think that's, you know, there's certainly a Texas... Nothing some, dramatic yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> there's certainly, some, I think, so, some truth to that. You know, I talked to, for the story I was working on about Cruz's endorsements, I talked to a, a county party chair in, in Kaufman County, and he was saying even though um, this is such a once-in-a-generation opportunity for the Texas delegation, even though we have an eight-way primary here in this district, it, he, he feels that the, the primary, Republican primary, elector right now is pretty lethargic mm -hmm. um, and he definitely sees Democrats much more energized even in uh, you know a, a bright red congressional district like that one right. and so I think there's some truth to what Cruz is saying even if it is kind of just meant to kind of charge up his one base. of the dangers for the Republicans is that their voters think you know oh we're gonna win this thing because we always win in Texas and they're gonna get fat and happy and that's how you lose elections you know you got to get them worked up and you know Ted Cruz is kind of a master of purple language you know let's get them all fired yeah. up and <laughs> those people are crazy they'll you know yeah. they're coming at you all right, well, just a reminder, if you're watching on social media, we've got a couple minutes left, so you can post your questions in the comments or on Twitter, and we'll try to get to them. Um, Emma, I want to wrap up today with a fascinating story you wrote about a fight between a far-right group and some educator groups, something that has spurred the viral and still trending hashtag I just saw, blowing the whistle. Uh, take us back. Where did this come from? 
So if you asked education advocates, they'd say this stems from the 2017 regular and special sessions where uh, a lot of public school folks were really disappointed with the legislature's actions. It also plays into some civic engagement efforts that have been ongoing for years, just trying to get teachers to get out the vote among students who are eligible. Um, conservative groups headed up by Empower Texans are alleging that these efforts uh, amount to illegal electioneering. In fact, just this afternoon, Attorney General Ken Paxton sent cease and desist letters to three school districts uh, accused of sort of misusing public funds to advocate for specific candidates. And so in what ways do they think that this is electioneering? I mean, it sounds so far the things that I've heard, which are sort of, you know, like sound like education efforts. How do you construe sort of education efforts as trying to sway the vote? And and is Empower Texans worried because they think these are people going to vote Democratic? That's the biggest concern, at least for, uh, you know, that's what education advocates would tell you. One name that's come up a lot is Scott Milder, who's running in the Republican primary against um, Power Texans darling Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. And Milder is a public school advocate, has been for more than a decade. And uh, I think some would tell you the groups are concerned that uh, Democrats from public schools are going to come out in force for him and maybe even cross over into the Republican yeah, primary. I'd argue their concerns now are more about these education back for right. Republican right. primary mm -hmm. challengers right. than yeah. Democrats. I'm sure Democrats occupy some of their concerns. Right. But if Milder is the, the center of their It's about people concerns. like Milder. It's about some of these education community backed uh, state house challengers right. like Jim Largent, um, Kristen Tassin running for state senate against Joan Huffman. I think that's probably where some of this angst is coming from, if anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they're doing a thing where they're saying, you know, if you are a superintendent, one of the one of the superintendents, I can't remember which one in this three-person letter, that Pax, three letters that Paxton sent today, says on his Twitter feed, you know, I'm for Scott Milder. Mm -hmm. I'm for Scott. And then comes to the school and says, I want everybody to go vote. And the implication here is that because you said that and then you said go vote, you're advocating for that candidate. You're a school employee who might be using school funds for that. Don't be doing this. They basically are afraid that they're sending a signal other than just go vote that right. is just go vote. And by the way, we're for the, you know, yeah. that team right over there. Right. Yeah, and the perennial question of our retweets endorsements, that's come up a little <laughs> bit. Superintendents tweeting support for candidates and then retweeting those from high school accounts. Brazosport ISD is the one you're referring to, mm -hmm. I think. Right, so right. that's that came up in the Attorney General's letter today. Right. Uh, and so the AG's original ruling on this has been, or he sent out an opinion a, a couple of weeks ago that basically suggested what? So one of the most controversial provisions is some of these civic engagement groups are saying, if your school district policy allows, bus students, bus teachers to the polls. Right. And there have been some questions about whether that's legal. The attorney general ruled last month that it's not legal unless uh, the, these trips are for an educational purpose, whatever that means. And under what circumstance would going to the polls not be educational? <laughs> I'd have to ask Ken Baxson. <laughs> it's also, you know, it, the asterisk on any opinion from an attorney general is that it's an opinion about what a judge might do, but it's mm -hmm. not a binding opinion. Right. Just my guess. Yep. Right. All right. Well, that's all the time we have. If you like listening to the Tribcast every week, please do us a favor and leave us a review on iTunes. Those ratings help us reach more listeners like you. And if you value the Tribune's nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom, please consider making a donation at support.texastribune.org. Thanks to Shiny Ribs, as always, for our music, and to Anheuser-Busch, Pearson, and Comcast, our sponsors this week. On behalf of Patrick, Ross, Emma, Representative Davis, and our producers Todd and Bobby, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking.